Back in October, Rush Limbaugh opened up about his faith. I mentioned at the outset of this, the first day I told you that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is of uh, immense value, strength, confidence. And that's why I'm able to remain fully committed to the idea that what is supposed to happen will happen when it's meant to. Rush was convinced that what is supposed to happen would happen when it was meant to. And as always, with impeccable timing, ever the showman, probably with an assist from the big guy upstairs, you would say, Rush Limbaugh died on Ash Wednesday, the very day that we are told to remember, remember man that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return a special providence in a death on Ash Wednesday. Now we can all pray that Rush is enjoying the greatest show imaginable before the very face of God. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. You know, things are pretty crazy these days. Probably a good time to consider investing in gold. The price of gold has been skyrocketing lately. And you know, I've mentioned before that I've enjoyed investing in precious metals, but I think sometimes people think, I've certainly thought this, it's very difficult to invest in physical gold because I don't happen to have zillions of dollars lying around. You know, a bar of gold costs a lot of money. Acre gold has figured out how to let you invest in physical gold without shelling out a ton of cash at once. They will let you subscribe to gold bars for as little as $30 per month. That's right. Now, $30 is not going to buy you a gold bar, uh, not going to buy you a ton of gold. But once your gold stash hits the limit, Acre will then ship you discreetly the physical gold to your door. I think this is an ingenious way to start investing in physical gold. And I, I really, really do enjoy investing in physical precious metals. They've got their $100 a month subscription to a five gram gold bar. Acre is crafting a solid gold, 24 karat, 999.99 millimeter bullet for you to buy right now. How cool is that? I I do have to say this. You can't shoot the bullet unless you're aiming at a werewolf. Then you you absolutely can. But otherwise, you you shouldn't shoot the bullet. Uh, It's very, very cool though. I love this thing. Can't wait to get one. Visit getacregold.com slash Michael. Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL because Acre is giving away a gold bar. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention at get underscore acre. That is getacregold.com slash Michael. Thank you, Acregold, for supporting the show. Rush Limbaugh. Uh, it, is not, it is not possible to overstate Rush's influence. And what you're going to hear over the next few days as everyone is processing their grief, let me rephrase that, as conservatives are processing their grief over the death of Rush and as left-wingers are doing quite the opposite. And we'll get to that in just a bit. Uh, You're going to hear that Rush Limbaugh was so important. He was the central figure to talk radio. That's true. That Rush Limbaugh saved AM radio. That's true. That Rush Limbaugh gave conservatives a voice when they were losing their voice. That's true. That Rush Limbaugh uh, is responsible really for all of the alternative conservative media that I'm engaging in right now, not, not just on radio, but in podcast, Daily Wire, you know, so on and so forth. That's all true as well. 
What Rush does not get enough credit for, he gets some credit for, but he doesn't get enough credit for it, is that Rush Limbaugh was a prime representative, the probably representative of the conservative movement, of the real conservative movement. You know, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about what it means to be a conservative, what it means to be a right winger, what it means to be a left winger in American politics, you know, with with respect to the other side of politics. Obviously, I'm coming at this thing from the right of Attila the Hun, but we're, we're trying to figure out what exactly does this mean? And now you're going to see a lot of, a lot of praise for Rush. But for much of his career, the establishment right did not want to associate with him. Now, you always had the people that I consider to be the real conservative leaders, uh, up to and including people like William F. Buckley Jr., many other people, uh, loved Rush, would uh, uh, you know, bring Rush into their circles, loved to associate with Rush. But a lot of the very fancy conservatives at the very fancy think tanks and the very fancy sort of sinecure positions, they felt Rush was a little beneath them, I, I sometimes think. They treated him as, uh, as a, a bit of a sideshow. You know, I, I'm not going to go into naming names, but you had people who were a little more establishment, uh, really did not want to associate with Rush very much. And yet, wise people of all different stripes, all colors, all sorts, all occupations, all socioeconomic levels, wise people of all those sorts, in my experience, have really, truly appreciated and admired Rush Limbaugh. I'm talking about your average Joe on the street. I'm talking about truck drivers. I'm talking about professors and priests. I'm talking about the whole gamut of human experience. I have truly, I've talked to people who have really no better than like a ninth or 10th grade education who say Rush Limbaugh was a genius. I've talked to people who have multiple advanced degrees, PhDs, that sort of thing, who use the exact same words. Rush Limbaugh was a genius. There was no better, forget just broadcaster, that's true too, but there was no better political analyst and commentator in his entire era than Rush Limbaugh. You know, when I, we moved to Nashville, uh, whatever it was, a, a few months ago, and I was supposed to move a week early, but then I got a phone call from the EIB network asking if I would like to fill in for the Rush Limbaugh show. Nothing could have possibly gotten me to delay my moving to Nashville. At the time, I've got a pregnant wife. The whole Daily Wire company is moving to Nashville. They're setting up my studio there. I no longer had a studio back in Los Angeles. They were actually tearing it down. There was one thing that could have gotten me to stay in LA so that I could go to the, the Rush Limbaugh studio and, and fill in. That, of course, what was sitting behind the golden EIB microphone. I, uh, I, I've publicly you know, th- thanked Rush and the whole EIB team many times for that honor. And I considered it such an honor, not just because Rush Limbaugh was the biggest deal in all of broadcasting, but because I so respected the man and his understanding of politics and his role in American politics. I think there are going to be a lot of establishment types who are going to try to sideline what Rush stood for, the people who admired Rush right now. We cannot let them do it. The New York Times understood that Rush Limbaugh, for all intents and purposes, was the conservative movement. With all the jokes and all the sort of uh, 
vision, all of the sort of grander vision, all the way up to his faith that we were discussing, all the way down. The New York Times understood this. That's why they attacked him so much. I'm so sorry that he's gone, but I'm so pleased that if he had to go, he would, he would go on Ash Wednesday. I had a priest once in Los Angeles who was ill and we knew, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't going to be around forever. And he, he prayed that he would die on Ash Wednesday, that there was this sort of poetic, real beauty to, to dying on Ash Wednesday, this day when we are to contemplate our mortality. And Rush clearly did that, not just because he got sick, but he was thinking about his faith for, for a long time. And he, he faced it with such courage because I think he had a vision of the life beyond. New York Times, not quite as effusive in their praise of Rush Limbaugh. I, I was hesitating even to read the negative comments about Rush, uh, but I just, you know, from a distance, I just have this sort of suspicion that he might have gotten a kick out of it. <laughs> you can tell a man by his enemies and Rush had all the right enemies. New York Times headline, Rush Limbaugh dies at 70 turned talk radio into a right-wing attack machine. <laughs> Is that what he did? Just a few uh, choice quotes from the New York Times obit. With a following of 15 million and a divisive style of mockery, grievance, and denigrating language, he was a force in reshaping American conservatism. That's <laughs> true. How, how divisive. The most popular radio host in America, <laughs> New York Times, runs a hit piece as their obit. And they accuse him of being divisive. They accuse him of mocking people. They accuse him of grievance and denigration, denigrating language. Okay. New York Times, he became a singular figure in the American media, fomenting mistrust, grievances, and even hatred on the right for Americans who did not share his or his followers' views. Pause for a moment. Nobody in this country has done more to foment distrust and disdain uh, for the American left than the New York Times. Nobody. Maybe they want to blame Rush Limbaugh. No, the lies, the distortions, the libel, that that was all the times. Rush Limbaugh called attention to it, but that that was all the times it did it. He just didn't let them get away with it. He pushed baseless claims and toxic rumors long before Twitter and Reddit became havens for such disinformation. Pay attention to this because what they're saying is, Look, you all now we're talking about how terrible Reddit is and all social media and we've got to regulate it and kick all the, the conservatives off of it, right? And that's, they're pretending in a way that this is a unique evil. and We've got to come in and censor these apps. Actually, New York Times is after a new app right now. They're trying to censor it. They're shocked that free speech is going on. But, but they're kind of showing their hand a little bit here because they're saying, no, it's not just new. It's not just Trump. It's not just the neo-Nazis and the whatever silly terms they want to call conservatives today. They say, Rush did this decades ago. Oh, oh, it's the same old story. Same story, different day. The same people who were trying to shut up conservatives 40 years ago, trying to do the same thing now, and they're trying to pretend that it's new. And then this, uh, this paragraph was really something else. To detractors, he was a sanctimonious charlatan, the most dangerous man in America, a label he co-opted. And some critics insisted that he had no real political power, only an intimidating, self-aggrandizing presence that swayed an aging ultra-right fringe whose numbers, while impressive, were not considered great enough to affect the outcome of national elections. But then they don't say anything about his admirers. So they say, you know, to his detractors, he was this. 
Ordinarily, if you were to use that phrase, you would say, and to his admirers, no, New York Times won't even do that. I mean, they go on, they, they attack his appearance, they attack all sorts of things. I say, well done, Rush, well done. Oh my goodness, if I could ever earn the scorn from these derelicts and degenerates at the New York Times that Rush Limbaugh earned, oh my goodness gracious, I would feel that I had really accomplished something. I would be, that is something really to be proud of. I know pride, deadly sin, queen of all sins. Don't, don't want to think about that sort of thing. But I would feel, I would take great comfort if I were Rush Limbaugh and if I were Rush's family in the unmitigated disdain, with, not even with a pretense of trying to be polite or civilized, but just the, the vicious way that the left is going after him right now, that's a badge of honor. You know, when lots of enemies on the internet are trying to get your information, you've got to protect yourself. Nobody is coming after your identity, right? Nobody's coming after your data. I know, I used to think that once. I don't think that anymore. If you think that, think again. I'll give you just one example. There's a text message scam going on claiming to give away a free year of Netflix. Ooh, I like free stuff. That's great, right? If you receive a text message like that, do not respond or click the link. It is a scammer trying to get you to log into a fake website to steal your personal information and credit card number. It is very important to understand how credit card theft, how cybercrime, how identity theft, how all these sorts of things are affecting our lives. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet. In an instant, a cyber criminal could harm what's yours, your finances, your credit, your reputation. Good thing there's LifeLock. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours with LifeLock identity theft protection. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Head on over right now, protect your identity an ounce of prevention seriously is worth a pound of cure here. LifeLock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S for 25% off. The New York Times is not the only outlet celebrating the death of Rush Limbaugh. We're hearing this from all sorts of blue check marks all over Twitter in all various fields. And it, it proves, it, it is proven true again and again, the more and more of these that you read, that a man can be judged by his enemies. My absolute favorite one, is from somebody named Charlotte Clymer. Charlotte Clymer is an individual who has a lot of followers on social media and uh, makes a big show on these platforms. I'll tell you more about Charlotte at the end. Just take a listen. Rush Limbaugh was a coward and white supremacist. He aggressively and cynically exploited divisions in our country by weaponizing hatred and bigotry for his own personal gain. Charlotte sounds really loving, huh? Not at all full of hatred or bigotry. No, really loving. Then, here's the money line. If Rush Limbaugh deserves credit for anything, it is his pioneering work in spreading disinformation and directly enabling our nation's current state of vast distrust of experts and spurning of good faith in the public discourse. He will not be missed by rational adults. Now, what you need to know to really appreciate this attack on Rush Limbaugh this, this attack that Rush was known for spreading disinformation, for t- uh, taking away people's trust in experts, for spurning good faith discourse. Charlotte Clymer is a man who pretends to be a woman. And uh, moreover, he is the communications director for 
the pro-abortion group Catholics for Choice, which is a contradiction in terms. It is not possible to be a Catholic. It is not permissible to be a Catholic and support abortion. The church does not permit that. Catholics for abortion is not, it is a, a contradiction. You can't have it. He, a man whose entire public persona is deception, is a lie, attacks Rush for spreading disinformation. And you know, there are many experts out there who say that men can be women and women can be men. There are many experts out there who say that Catholics can support abortion, can disregard the church's 2,000-year teaching on this issue. Uh, the experts would be wrong. Probably good to distrust those. If those are the experts, then I'm glad we are not trusting those experts. Spurning of good faith in public discourse, says someone, pushing lies and deception. We will not be missed by rational adults. Show me the rational adult. I'm looking around. I don't see very many. Beyond uh, Mr. Clymer, we have Cameron Kasky, who uh, is sort of the lesser known of the David Hogg people, you know, of the, of the young pro-gun control people. Cameron Kasky tweeted out, quote, Rush Limbaugh has passed on, but worry not. His memory lives on through bigots everywhere. That's right. Now, I, I mentioned Cameron's, not because he's particularly well-known, but because I think he's actually revealing something about these people who are attacking Rush. Namely, it's not about Rush. Just like, it, just like the attacks on Trump were not really about Trump. The stomping, you know, dancing on Rush's grave is not really about Rush. It's about the people that Rush spoke to. And what that means is it's about the conservative movement. Rush Limbaugh had an audience of, uh, I think, 25 million, something like that. It's a lot of people. This fellow, Cam Kasky, says that all those people are bigots. You know, the people who admired Rush are bigots. This gets to what we've been hearing since the election. 75 million Americans, they don't just disagree with you. They don't just happen to be conservative. They are Nazi, white supremacists. They need to be censored, silenced, and ostracized from society. There are going to be some squishes who call themselves conservatives, but, but, but not that kind of conservative. You know, I'm a really serious, intellectual, uh, elite, uh, reasonable conservative. I'm not like those Rush Limbaugh conservatives. For, I don't think that all their sucking up and bootlicking to the left is going to keep them out of the gulags, but neither here nor there. I don't, I'm not really concerned about how those people live their lives. It's really for the rest of the conservatives out there to remember, this is all about you. Rush took a lot of the brunt of it. He's taking some of the brunt of it now, but this is about you. Beyond these sort of silly people mouthing off on Twitter, you get another silly person mouthing off on Twitter, but he's got a big credential. Scott Shapiro, no relation, I hope, <laughs> I don't think so, to my uh, colleague, Ben, He's a professor at Yale Law School. This is the top law school in the country. Do you know what he writes on Twitter? He says, I wouldn't say I was happy that Rush Limbaugh died. It's more like euphoria. That's not just some edgy tweeter, you know, some guy with a TV show or a podcast or a radio show or something. No, that's a, that's a law professor at what is considered to be the most prestigious law school in the entire country saying I was euphoric 
First of all, that I was euphoric that a man died. Second of all, that I was euphoric that a countryman, fellow countryman died. And third of all, he was euphoric because of what? Because of Russia's political views. It's not because of the cut of Russia's jib, not because of his beard, not because of the polo shirts he wore. It's because he's a conservative. What does Scott Shapiro think about his students? What is Scott Shapiro? What do so many of these guys think about all the rest of us? Trump and Rush. In, in many, you know, in many ways, very different. They approached politics from a different angle. You know, Rush's uh, uh, approach to politics was probably more systematic. It was more rooted in uh, political philosophy, more rooted in political history. Trump, it was all gut, right? It was, he, came, he comes from the world of business. He didn't come from the world of politics. But in many ways, these guys were kindred spirits. And Trump recognized this. And uh, he made his first appearance on a network show uh, since he left the White House to call in to a, a TV network and pay tribute to Rush. Three or four days ago, I'd call him just to find out, you know, his, his fight was very, very courageous. And he was very, very sick. And, you know, from diagnosis on, it was just something that was not going to be beaten. But you wouldn't know it. And he is married to an incredible woman, Catherine, who really, every time I spoke to him, he, he would tell me how great she was. She took such great care. He was very brave. I mean, he, in theory, could have been gone four months ago, really. He just, he was fighting till the very end. He was a fighter. A really touching tribute from President Trump. You know, President Trump is sort of known for his off-the-cuff remarks, and he, sometimes he says things that are not totally politic. I remember when he was posthumously awarding, I guess it was the Medal of Freedom, to Antonin Scalia. You know, he clearly didn't know terribly much about Scalia, so he's, he's kind of reading it. In the moment, he says, and Scalia survived by his wife and his 10 kids. 10 kids? Wow! Oh, man, I knew I liked that guy. You guys were busy, huh? Is <laughs> one of my favorite Trump lines, uh, but probably not appropriate if you're eulogizing somebody or something like that. And here, what does Trump say? He goes, I called the guy who was such a fighter. He so loved his country. I really, I'm really pleased that uh, former president did that, called in to, to pay tribute to him. He gave him such a, such a wonderful honor at the State of the Union when he, he awarded Rush the Medal of Freedom in that room. And I'm, I'm so glad he did because it drove the Democrats crazy. I bet it drove some Republicans crazy. And most of all, because Rush deserved it. That's a great use of the term or of the, the Medal of Freedom. Guys like Donald Trump and Rush Limbaugh are much, much, much more representative of true conservatism, whatever you want to call that. It's a term that's often invoked by liberal rats, like the Lincoln Project. <laughs> you know, they say, we're the true conservatives. Now give us money so we can elect Democrats. Uh, but it, it's, it's invoked by those guys. But there is a sort of truer or deeper, more substantive conservatism in America. And, and Trump and Rush are much more representative of that than basically all of the think tankers and the talkers and the politicians who call themselves right wing put together, with some exception but basically put together. And the way you can tell is if you look at the way that the left goes after them. Not even in just one isolated moment because of one or two things, but year after year as their influence grows and grows, they attack them and they attack them and they attack them. 
when the golden EIB microphone goes silent as it has, it's, uh, you know, I, I suspect it's not so sad for Rush. I suspect he's at his eternal reward and we can pray that that's the case. Uh, very sad for those of us who will miss him because it's not just his voice that is disappearing from the country, but he was a spokesman for so many of us and the left could never crack him. You know, they really, they never managed to, they tried so many times, but they are going to try to do that now. And, and the censorship that is going to, that is already going on against the people Rush spoke for, that is going to increase dramatically. One way to fight back against this left-wing censorship, support organizations such as PragerU. You know how much I love PragerU. PragerU is leading the charge against big tech censorship, fighting for our voices to be heard far and wide. You know PragerU very well if you're listening to this show because I have appeared in many PragerU videos. A lot of us here at Daily Wire have appeared in lots of PragerU videos. We've written on PragerU videos. I actually host a show at PragerU called the book club, which I highly recommend you check out if you have not started listening to that already. It's just terrific. The America that we love is slipping away. And I, for one, don't want to let the left win a victory after cultural victory. So I think we got to do something about it. You got to support PragerU. Their videos are watched 4 million times every single day. More than 70% of viewers say their minds were changed after watching. More than 60% of those viewers are young. PragerU is on the front lines. They need you to help supply uh, the resources to continue this fight. If you want to be sure that your donation dollars will be used to support values that you support yourself, donate to PragerU at PragerU.com slash Daily Wire. That is PragerU.com slash Daily Wire. Also, go on over and support the Daily Wire. We got a lot of very exciting stuff going on right now. We're getting into the culture. We're not just commenting on the culture anymore or criticizing the culture anymore. We are going out. We are actively making cultural products. Disney tried to cancel uh, Gina Carano the other day, star of The Mandalorian. Well, we uh, we hired her. Now she's my new colleague. Never thought I'd be colleagues with an MMA fighter and Disney star, but uh, strange things have happened in 2020 and 2021. Uh, we're also going to have Backstage Live. That's going to be February 23rd for the State of the Union. Make sure you go subscribe for that. Head on over to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. Welcome back to the show. The silencing of the golden EIB microphone, the Rush Limbaugh show, uh, is going to cause an increase in the censorship regime that was already going on. Because Rush spoke for a lot of people who did not have the ability to speak on a large platform for themselves. The New York Times is already expressing this desire of the left-wing establishment to shut up ordinary people. Uh, New York Times has a, uh, a headline about the, this new app, Clubhouse. Uh, Clubhouse hasn't been around that long. I'm on the app. I haven't used it very much. It's kind of nice, though. You, you basically join into these different groups, and it's audio-based. It's not text-based. So on Twitter, you know, everyone says really mean things because they're all behind a computer screen. They, you know, it's a, sort of a, an alienating process when you're communicating only through words. You don't have to hear the inflection in someone's voice. You don't need to see the look on their face. So people tend to be pretty mean on Twitter. I find people aren't that mean on Clubhouse because it's audio-based. However, it it would appear that this free-flowing conversation that's going on in Clubhouse is uh, too much for the left to handle. 
New York Times tweets out, quote, unfettered conversations are taking place on Clubhouse, an invitation-only app that lets people gather in audio chat rooms. The app has exploded in popularity despite grappling with concerns over harassment, misinformation, and privacy. Concerns. Whose concerns? Sounds like the concerns of the New York Times. They're worried about unfettered conversations. Think about the state of American journalism, specifically of American liberal journalism, that conversations might be unfettered. You know, I'm a conservative. I actually do think some things are out of bounds. I'm with the founding fathers on this topic. I think things like uh, fraud, obscenity, maybe we should have some regulations on those. I am not, as has become a sort of very popular phrase in the last, I don't know, three or four years, a free speech absolutist. I'm not. I'm I'm an absolutist for free speech in the American tradition, and those are different things. I support the American tradition of free speech, which I think is fabulous. But I don't believe there's any such thing as totally absolute free speech. This is a finite world, and uh, we're not going to permit things like... uh, fraud, like threats, like, you know, so on and so forth. But the liberals have always said, we're for free speech. They had the free speech movement at Berkeley to destroy all the old uh, social norms in this country. They insist that burning the American flag is absolutely 100% protected free speech, no matter what the American legal tradition said before they brought this to the Supreme Court. But now the liberals are showing their hands. They're saying, no, we don't. (laughs) Unfettered conversations? No way, buddy. We're the the speech police. We're the ones who are supposed to tell you what you're allowed to say. They tried to shut down Rush Limbaugh. They obviously tried to shut down Donald Trump. They said, this is too much. Too, you, you're not allowed to say those sorts of things. You're only allowed to say what we want you to say and do what we want you to do. Another person, another liberal elite that typifies this point of view, Bill Gates. Now, I'm not one for Bill Gates conspiracy theories. You know, there have been a lot of Bill Gates conspiracy theories. Uh, For instance, some people say that Bill Gates wants to uh, kill babies in Africa. I'm not one for conspiracy theories. Uh, I'm one for listening to what Bill Gates says. And then when I hear his own words, I believe him when he describes his own views. One goal uh, that he describes, of course, is that he wants to kill babies in Africa. He wants to increase abortion in Africa. He wants to increase uh, the use of contraception. He wants to curb the growth specifically of Africa and the third world. But he's very concerned about overpopulation, which is a discredited and preposterous and anti-human and wicked sort of concept to be worried about. He says that, you know, (laughs) that's not a conspiracy theory. He he talks about that openly, as do many liberal elites. So I don't like this guy generally. I don't like him because I think his moral vision is wrong and perverse. And maybe, you know, he came to it honestly. Maybe it's, you know, it's an honest mistake. We all, we're all uh, seeing him imperfectly. Uh, So I hope that he turns it around. I hope that he changes his mind, repents, that sort of thing. But as of now, this guy is a a perfect encapsulation of the elite liberal view. And as such, he says very terrible things. And one of those very terrible things, you might think it's trivial, but I, I actually don't think it is. He wants to take away your beef. He does. I know this sounds like a Bill Gates conspiracy theory. Bill Gates wants to take away your hamburger. He does. He just said that. He said that he wants to take away your beef. He said, quote, I don't think the poorest 80 countries will be eating synthetic beef. I do think all rich countries 
should move to 100% synthetic beef. So he's saying, yeah, poor countries, they're not going to be able to afford synthetic beef, but rich countries can, meaning fake meat that's grown in a lab somewhere. And not only can they do that, but they should do that. Why should they do that? I don't know. Because Bill Gates, while he's a sales genius and was able to sell a lot of computers in the 90s, is a moral idiot. I mean, there's, he has no, there's no reason to believe that Bill Gates has any sort of sophisticated understanding of philosophy, ethics, morality, theology. He's just sort of saying stuff. But because he's really rich and full of himself, he, he believes that he is capable of pontificating on these sorts of subjects that he knows nothing about. Why should they move to synthetic beef? Well, because, this I'm just guessing here, because, you know, it's bad to kill the animals. Why is it bad to kill the animals? I don't know. They never seem to explain that. And uh, because, you know, the methane from the cows, it's going to cause global warming. What's global warming? Is that really going to kill us all? Maybe, when's it going to kill us? 12 years, 18 months? Is it going to kill us before global cooling kills us in the 1970s? Is it going to kill us before the essentially moderate weather that's happened since the late 1990s? Or is that going to, I don't know. They never explain it, but it is going to kill us. That's why we got to switch to synthetic beef. And Bill Gates adds, quote, you can get used to the taste difference. And the claim is they're going to make it taste even better over time. Oh, good. The fake meat's going to taste better over time. And you can get used to it. You can get used to it. So do it. You have to. Now, you'll notice he's using these terms here. You know, they should do this. They should do that. But more than he uses those kinds of terms, he uses the terms of inevitability. He'll say, this will happen. This won't happen. Because for Bill Gates, like all progressives, he believes that the, he understands the science of history, the science of politics, and it's going to move in his direction. And if you don't like that, well, that's too bad. Oh, you got your little constitution, your little self-government? Well, too bad, buddy, because I know the way the future is going to move and it's going to take your hamburger away. And there's nothing you can do about it. Bill Gates expresses the same view on jobs and energy. You know, the left-wingers like Bill Gates and other liberal elites have decided that they're going to take away jobs in the energy sector. Joe Biden promised he wouldn't do it, but at other times he promised he would do it. We all knew he was going to do it. Now he's done it. He's taken away jobs in the fossil fuel industry, for instance. So Bill Gates was on a TV show. And he was asked, hey, what do you say to the millions of people who are losing their jobs in the energy industry? Bill Gates has soft consolation for them. What happens to the 2.8 million Americans that are working in the oil and gas industry? This is a 30-year transition, and there's lots of clean jobs that can be uh, created in those same locations. A total number of jobs will actually go up. There may be some places there's dislocation, and so as we budget, we have to think about those affected communities uh, as well as funding the innovation and deployment. Who the hell is we? Who is we as we decide how we're going to take away millions of jobs and we decide, how, what, what was the we, Bill? Does Bill think he's speaking for the American people? Of course not. The American people don't want to take away millions of energy jobs. That's why Joe Biden had to lie to them before the election and say, I'm not going to go after fracking. I'm not going to go after fossil fuels. And then what does he do? He immediately goes after them, which those of us who had been listening for a while, we all knew that. But the fact that he lied shows that's not popular. So who is we, Bill? We, I think, are these self-appointed 
benevolent betters, the liberal elites who are going to usher in the new age and there's just nothing you can do about it. Yes, well, there's going to be some displacement, but well, you know, but it's a 30-year transition. What 30-year transition? I didn't sign up for any 30-year transition and I didn't appoint Bill freaking Gates to utterly transform the American energy sector over 30 years. When did I vote for that? When did anybody vote for that? None of us did. But this is the way the blob works. And when I, when I talk about the blob or the liberal elite, I'm talking about the dominant regime that I guess right now expresses itself through the elected politicians because Democrats have unified government. It expresses itself through the administrative state, the bureaucracy. It, it expresses itself through the universities, through technology, and generally speaking, with some exceptions, through the richest Americans. Isn't that weird? You remember how the Republicans are supposed to be the fat cat party of the billionaires. Well, how come most of the richest people in America are Democrats? Isn't that weird? Doesn't that seem a little weird? No, not really, because the liberal regime is the dominant regime. It is the power in America. It's where the power goes. This should not be normal. By the standard of, of the Constitution, not normal. By the standard of at least much of American history, not normal. By the standard of what we tell ourselves about the way our society works and our government works, not normal. But this is the new normal, according to many left-wingers. Actually, Jen Psaki, our favorite current White House press secretary, Jen Psaki admitted this. She was asked a question. She said, you know, 15 days to slow the spread. We're getting on a year now and there's no end in sight to these lockdowns and the masks and all this crazy nonsense. When is life going to get back to normal? Jen Psaki shrugs her shoulders. This is the question, as I'm sure is the case for all of you, that every neighbor, every friend, every family member asks, uh, at least me in the street when I'm walking my dog in the morning. Um, we we want to be straight with the American public, though. It is we are not in a place where we can predict exactly when everybody will feel normal again. And it has, there are a number of reasons. One is, even though we will have enough doses for every person in this country, as you all know, because we've talked about it in here, vaccine hesitancy remains a challenge. Uh, we need to ensure that uh, that everybody who uh, can get a dose is getting a dose. Uh, we all will also need to be masking for some time. We will also need to be still taking social distancing measures. So. Uh, you know, there, there's, of course, is a, an understandable question, and I think the president uh, wants things to return to normal, as we all do. Uh, but we, uh, we, we don't know at this point what that timeline is going to look like. The president does not want us to return to normal, because if he did, he would just do it, because he has political power, because we theoretically have self-government, and we theoretically elected this guy president. So if he wanted to, he would. But he isn't, because he doesn't. We do not need to mask. We do not need to social distance an Orwellian term if ever there was one, a contradiction in terms. We do not need to do any of this silly nonsense. We've had epidemics before, many harsher epidemics than the coronavirus. We haven't reordered society in the way that these psychos are reordering it. Do you know how we can return to normal? We can just stop listening to the exalted Dr. Fauci, peace be upon him, the, the world leader you know. We can just stop listening to all of these self-appointed elites in all the dominant regime. Unfortunately, they have a lot of power right now. They have a lot of way of lording that over us. Jen Psaki did this thing that is so frustrating. You, you've probably experienced this. If you want someone to apologize to you, 
and the person, they, they can't quite, bring, they know they should apologize, but they can't quite bring themselves to do it. So for instance, they'll come to you and they'll say, hey, I'm sorry if you feel offended. I'm sorry if you feel hurt. You say, I, you don't apologize for my feelings. <laughs> you can't control my feelings. You can control what you did. So apologize for what you did or don't apologize for what you did, but don't give me this mishy-mouth. That's what Jen Psaki's doing. The question is, when can Americans expect to get back to normal? We were told 15 days to slow the spread. That seems like that was back in the, uh, I don't know, in the Roosevelt administration at this point. It seems so long ago. 15 days to slow the spread. When can we expect to get back to normal? And she says, well, you know, we just don't know when people can feel normal again. Don't tell me how I'm going to feel. I don't, I, don't, I don't need you to worry about how I'm going to feel. Normal is not a feeling. Normal is an objective reality. Muzzling yourself with filthy cloth all the time and not being able to see people's smiling faces and having to not not be able to understand what people are saying, that's not normal. It's increasingly becoming normal, I'm sorry to say, but it's not normal. And not being able to see your loved ones, not being able to bury your dead, not being able to go have weddings, not being able to celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's not normal. It's increasingly becoming normal because it's what the liberal regime wants. But that's what we're asking. When can we get back to that? And the answer, Jen Psaki, she's getting better at evading questions. She sort of gave the answer here. When are we going to get back to that normal, the normal that we all consider to be normal? We don't. We don't get to do that. We will never get back to that if the dominant liberal regime is liberal elites in all various industries, up to and including Joe Biden, if they get their way, this is the new normal. Seems pretty abnormal to me. I don't want you to think that I am, uh, you know, hyperbolic here when I say that the current rules that we're living under, the masks and the social distancing, whatever that means, that, that you know, this is a grave threat to our way of life. That, oh, maybe, Michael, come on, this will just be a temporary measure. Come on, we're all in this together. We're together apart or whatever other creepy contradictions they, they want to make us all spout. This is what the liberal regime prefers. There was a video that just came out. Unfortunately, there was a hidden camera in some restaurant, some bar of a, an LA health inspector. LA, one of the worst run cities for coronavirus and also they're not just the worst run in terms of the spread of the virus, but they're also the worst run in terms of the psychos who are enforcing rules there. This LA health inspector shows up, shuts down this bar, and then as she's doing it, she does a little dance. You can see through the security footage. Here she goes, she's dancing around, you know, moving her hips, shaking around. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to read too much into just this one video clip. It's pretty damning stuff, but maybe, I don't know, I don't know what was going on in her head. Maybe she was just, maybe she's just a nut and she just has to spontaneously start dancing in public. If so, you know, not the best bedside manner for a regulator who's throwing people out of work. But I do know that normal is a choice. 
norms or a choice. In many ways, what political correctness is, what, what uh, wokeness or you know, whatever term you want is, is a new set of norms. Actually, I explore this topic in my upcoming book, which you can pre-order right now, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. What, what political correctness does is replaces the old moral norms with new norms of speech. So you're replacing the standards, and it's also, you're taking the focus from actions to words. What, what this woman did to go shut down this business, that was wrong of her to do, whether she danced or not. It's an arbitrary exercise of power. It should not be done right now. And I don't think any of us need to be reminded. That woman gets her paycheck regardless. This woman goes in, shuts down a, a place of business, puts workers out of their job, probably puts the owner, you know, if this goes on long enough, out of his job. And she gets her paycheck and she gets to dance on back down the street, back to her office. What is Joe Biden doing for businesses? I'm not talking big business, which is in many ways not so different from big government. Conservatives are finally beginning to wake up to that reality. What is Joe Biden doing for these small businesses? Uh, poor Jen Psaki, Biden's spokesman, doesn't have much of an answer. What is President Biden doing for my small business? First and foremost, he nominated a woman to lead the Small Business Administration. Stop. Stop right there, please. This is sad, but it's also very funny. It's, it's sort of like you laugh or you cry <laughs> with, with this sort of thing. Because they don't have, what is he doing for my small business? The answer is nothing. <laughs> but the way, the way that Jen Psaki expresses nothing is... What is Joe Biden doing for my small business? He nominated a woman to some post or whatever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cool. Uh, can you answer my question, please? I, I truly could not possibly care less. The, the sex of the person that Joe Biden nominated to some stupid bureaucratic role, that's probably not going to do very much for American business. I don't care that he nominated a woman. I don't care if a woman is ever, ever nominated to whatever stupid bureaucratic post they're talking about. I do care about the state of American business. I do care that people are allowed to run their businesses. They're allowed to keep at least a little bit of what is theirs, that people are allowed to work, that people are allowed to go to these restaurants and bars and go to these businesses, that they can go out and have a functioning society. How are you doing that, Joe Biden? Ah, we don't really have an answer. I'm, so, I'm afraid we don't really have an answer on that. And Frank, you know, I'm knocking Jen Psaki because she, you know, is not very good at her job at being a spokesman. But she's really not much worse than Joe Biden. In many ways, she's better than Joe Biden. Joe Biden just recently did a, a town hall and he managed to put his foot in his mouth again. Uh, th- this, this quote, I think, sums it all up. Joe Biden said that uh, everyone knows he, he prefers kids to people. Good to be back, man. That's nice to see you, sir. And you know you enjoy being home with the baby more. I don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> I do, yes. Yeah, he's nine and a half months, so I, I'm very happy. It. No, no. Everybody knows I like kids better than people. I so. saw a picture of you with your grandson recently. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> this is actually a very telling comment. Telling in many ways. One, Joe is obviously senile and not capable of doing the job. And increasingly, uh, the Biden administration is empowering Kamala Harris, which is a story unto itself. 
is Joe not all there? Really what they're, they're really just empowering the bureaucrats. Uh, also, uh, that Joe Biden doesn't consider kids people, right? If he's making a distinction between kids and people, which would explain his outrageous support for abortion, blasphemous support for abortion, given his protestations that he's a, in his profession, that he's a devout Catholic. Uh, but but uh, of course, if you don't consider kids people, then it makes a lot more sense. But even on what he's saying here, he says, you know, I, I always like kids better than people. Let's say he meant to say adults or something. And Anderson says, oh, I saw a picture of you with your grandkid. I, saw you, I read a story about you playing video games with your grandkid. We covered that on the show. Joe Biden doesn't like kids better than adults. I think, you know who I think might disagree with the claim that Joe Biden really, really likes kids? His grandchild that he refuses to acknowledge. This story, I can't believe that people haven't given this more airtime. I can believe it with the mainstream media, but not with conservatives. Joe Biden has a grandchild that was uh, conceived and born out of wedlock, and he refuses to acknowledge the grandchild. That's very callous. That's very cruel. That, not such a great guy. Not such a great guy. You know who was a great guy? Rush Limbaugh. That's who. And uh, I'm, I'm very sad that he's gone, but it seems we see a little glimmer of the providence in the way that Rush went, in, the, in uh, all, all that we get to have taken from his life and career. Uh, we'll be praying for him. We'll be praying for the country. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Rush Limbaugh passes away and the online left celebrates. The Biden administration has literally no idea what the hell they are talking about when it comes to reopening schools. And we learn from the Washington Post that spraying Gorilla Glue in your hair is yet another legacy of systemic racism. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm.